Today we're going to start a two-part series out of this one passage. It's on the heart of Christian marriage. I want to underscore that word heart. The heart of Christian marriage. It's perhaps the most misunderstood, misapplied passage of Scripture in the Bible. Now do I have your ears? (laughs) You're listening. Uh, Just a little uh, disclaimer here. There's no way that we can do justice, even in two parts, on this passage. So if you have questions or you want to hang out with us and, and just discuss passages like this more, we are completely open to meet with you. Uh, if you feel like you need more clarification after these two weeks, come to me. That's what I'm here for. And we can walk through passages together, gaining understanding. But really, today, I want to deal with the overview and the heart of what Paul is trying to say, okay? So what do I mean by this being misunderstood, perhaps misapplied? I think we all can fill in the blanks to that in many ways if you were listening to Brock this morning. First of all, if we fail, and this is the biggie right here, if we fail to read this passage, this passage here, Ephesians 5, 22, is it? And following. If we fail to read this passage or any other passage, if we fail to read without context of the whole, we will misunderstand where he lands. In other words, uh, you can't play Bible roulette with this passage. Do you know, have you ever played Bible roulette? Hmm. That means just open it up, say, God, speak to me, you know, and you open up to Ephesians and it says, wives, submit to your husbands. And then you go to your wife and you say, look what God showed me this morning. (laughs) And then you're calling me to uh, see if I have an extra room um, that you can stay in called the doghouse. All right. Reading anything out of context really messes up the beauty of the author's intent in starting with Ephesians 1. Let's just think about Paul in Ephesians. If we don't get Ephesians 1 through 5 up to this point, we will misread the heart of this passage. Okay. I'm just beginning to read Ephesians this way. I'm seeing the connecting links and the heart that Paul is exhibiting in his theology and in his going right into prayer and intercession and then back into this experiential theology. Because he's talking about the resurrection and ascension of Christ and the cross and the reconciliation therein, but he met the resurrected Christ. So this was an experiential theology that he's giving us, right? Many things were passed down and traditioned onto Paul. He says that. But he met the shining one. You know, he met the brilliant light that says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he got the revelation that you are connected to Christ the head and that we are his body, and how we treat each other, we treat Christ, right? 
Jesus said to his disciples when they are being sent out, he said, those who receive you, submit to you, yield to you in your ministry. He who receives you, disciples, receives me, Jesus. And so Paul is saying that we must recognize each other as members of his body. We know no one after the flesh anymore. We don't even know Christ after the flesh, Paul says, anymore. Because the Holy Spirit is living within us, Christ himself, our hope of glory, is shining forth in us. And we want to let that light shine and encourage one another and submit to one another and pray for one another and show hospitality to one another. Those are reciprocal pronouns, right, which don't work unless they go both ways. It takes mutuality, right? You can't be the one giving out all the time. There must be a one another reciprocity going forth where you're you're giving and the person is receiving and that person gives back and you receive. And this is all in the attitude, in the heart realm of relationships. This is a highly relational passage. You don't have to be married to get something out of this because really marriage is speaking of something far transcendent. It's speaking of the mystery of Christ and his church, union with him. And we all have union with him whether we're married or not, right? We're all, whether single, celibate, or married, are exemplifying and signifying that great eschatological event, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we will all be united together in Christ. Oh man, that is going to be just an amazing unification of the cosmos, right? That's where we're headed. And so marriage and Christian union itself is speaking of the mystery of Christ and his church. Are you with me? Mm. If we don't read this then in the context, and we're going to talk about that, we will most likely see this passage as misogynistic. Mm Mm-hmm patriarchal and perhaps confirmed by experience abusive so I want to be sensitive to all of that right the way that we read this is not like we read the New York Times (laughs) if you read the New York Times but um, the way we read this is in the church in Christ and what he's done in us. It's not just a bunch of information or good counsel about how marriage works. Oh, there. The mechanics of this can kill you, right? If it's purely mechanical. We have to go down deep into our reverence for Christ himself first. So context of the whole, just a little bit. The key theme of this letter is how God has reconciled two very divided people groups 
And then that's going to be flowing into the two shall become one flesh. Okay? But way back in the reconciliation passage in Ephesians chapter 2, it's speaking of two very divided people groups becoming one. How does that happen? That's a miracle in Christ himself. He made the two Jew and Gentile. And that's all of us. You you may be Jewish this morning in here, or you may be a Gentile. That's it. That covers humanity. And so Christ brings this division of two humanities, as it were, and brings them together under his headship and makes humanity one humanity. That's the big idea of the gospel, you see. And that signifies what is happening in Christian relationships and in marriage. Christian marriage. Christian marriage is supernatural. Can everybody who is married say amen? It must be. (laughs) Help is one of those prayers. Help us, God. Because making this two one is, is an ongoing process of yielding and receiving and being submitted, submitted in the heart out of reverence for Christ. <laughs> you can't leave out of reverence for Christ out of your marriage. This is why there's so many failed marriages. One of the reasons, right? Not, not the only reason. But that is foundational. Making the two one, this is brought about not by mere words. No, it was the hard work of the cross, offering himself on the cross, making the two one, right? It was both Jew and Gentile who hung him on the cross. It wasn't just the Jews. It was the Roman army. They were complicit in hanging him on the cross, And now he's saying, Father, forgive them. They just don't know what they're doing. Do you know what you're doing this morning? Do you really know what you're doing? It takes a spirit of wisdom and revelation to even get a clue about what you're doing. (laughs) And it's living in Christ. Living in Christ is what this is all about. And so it's not mere words, but it's him offering himself on the cross and on the third day rising as Lord of new creation. This is, this is the theme in Ephesians and throughout the New Testament. As Lord of new creation, Savior of the cosmos. Creation is groaning until the final consummation, right, of that reconciliation being made good and eternal and not reversing back. That's what Romans 8 is all about. And so in his ascension, he sends the Holy Spirit to live in us, empowering us and providing grace to be in union with him. There it is. That's everybody in the room, married or unmarried. We have been brought into union with him through baptism. And we're going to experience that today. Making us sons and daughters. Filled with the divine life. Union in Christ is itself pointing to the mystery of Christ in his church. The marriage of the bride and Christ our bridegroom. That's what salvation is signifying. 
That's what Christian marriage is signifying and showing forth our destiny, our destiny to be married to our bridegroom, Jesus Christ himself. Now, modern concepts of marriage and experience of abuse play into the reading of this passage. We've already alluded to that. And let me say this, the heart of Christian marriage has virtually little to do with modern, secularized concepts of marriage. Virtually little to do with those things. What do I mean? It's common to view marriage as a partnership in the secular world. Do you understand why we can't say in Christian marriage that marriage is a partnership? Because a partnership is forever two entities claiming certain privileges and rights, but they're not a merger like another business operation could be. In business terms, it's not a partnership, it's a merger. (laughs) The two become one. Right? That's what Jesus is signifying now. The two become one flesh. And that echoes back, as I said, to the reconciliation of Jew and Gentile. Jesus is all about making the two one. Unity. In this passage in Ephesians 4, right in the beginning, it just says, Make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Unity is a gift. We don't manufacture the joining together of husband and wife. We don't have to manufacture this. We don't make it up. It's a gift given to us. It's called the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So mergers and partnerships are very different arrangements. And so are marriages. In Christian marriage, it is God himself who unites us. In Christian marriage, it is God himself who marries us. I don't marry anybody. I can't bestow the sacrament of unity between husband and wife on anybody. And that's why Jesus himself, and in this passage it says, those whom God has joined together. Don't read that as just two guys hold... Well, yeah, oh gosh. Don't read that as two... (laughs) Two people (laughs) holding hands and being joined together. No, it's something far deeper than that. And this is why it requires male and female to be married in the church. Christian marriage, the joining of husband and wife together supernaturally by God, is sacramental. I don't know of many failed marriages that have a history of praying together. And they have studied the Bible together. And they have worshipped together. And they have trained their kids up together. I don't see that. But it's mutual. See, it can't be like a supercharged wife who loves the Lord and trying to drag her husband along. No, that doesn't work because that is not reciprocal. That's one person in great need of the other to wake up. And vice versa. There's not a mutuality in that. And until that repentance can occur and that yielding can occur, we cannot walk in agreement together. Even though we're married, we're not in agreement, right? And so it takes much grace, much patience, and much spiritual direction 
to walk in these kinds of situations. And so I say, like, if, I don't know if there's anybody here this morning if that fits you, but we're here to help. We're here to listen. We're here. We understand the difficulties of two becoming one flesh. My wife and I understand this. The heart of Christian marriage exemplifies the heart of the Christian life, exemplifies the heart of our salvation. And it's a life where Jesus himself submitted himself to the Father. I don't do anything unless I see the Father doing it, right? So we're imitating Christ when we submit one to another, when we honor one another, when we love one another. It's coming from Christ himself. And it's coming out of our life in Christ, in worship, in prayer, and in submission. And so the good news is is that you have the Holy Spirit inside you, the one who empowered Christ, who came upon him at his baptism, right? No miracles until his baptism. He walks out and he almost gets killed in his first sermon. Go figure. And so may the Holy Spirit lead you into dangerous waters and know that he is your protector in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.